Hi everyone, welcome back to the HR Leaders Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Lauren von Sackelberg, who's the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at the LEGO Group. During the episode, Lauren shares how to implement enterprise-wide diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, how the LEGO Group are closing the gender play gap, and how they're translating DI work into their products and customer experience. As always, before we jump into the video, make sure you hit the subscribe button, turn on the notification bell, and follow on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. With that being said, let's jump in. Welcome to the show, Lauren. How are you? Wonderful. How are you? Thanks I'm for having good. me. You've officially won the award for the best sofa. <laughs> I can't believe that's the back of your sofa. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's amazing. My wife would love that. My wife would also love, she'd love it. I don't know where it would fit it, though. You need a pretty, you need a decent amount of room. Yeah, you need. You definitely need a lot of space. Um, usually, I'm in my office, and the background is books and rainbows. Uh, but it's under it's under construction right now, so you'll see that next time. Love it. How you been? It's been what six months since you've been in the role. Time flies. Yes. Yeah, we're signing our signatures with 2023. So it's been uh, quite a while, and it's been everything I hoped for and more. To be honest, it's uh, certainly my last corporate home, and I'm just really um, energized by this job and really excited by the impact that we can drive and the growing team. And yeah, just looking forward to kind of getting into it a bit more with you today. Nice. Tell everyone uh, a little bit more about your background before you, you know, arrived here at LEGO, the LEGO group. Of course. Uh, so I've worked in diversity inclusion now for 15 years, started my life in microfinance. So really small scale lending. The way I was doing it was focusing on women of color below the poverty line. Uh, did that work in Costa Rica, Ghana, India, and China. Wow. Had my own fund in Ghana. Um, it's actually very surprising that I did that because I come from a no passport family. And so I'm the first one to leave the state of Massachusetts, <laughs> the country of the US. And so those are some interesting places um, to kind of start to work, but it really helped me to understand systemic inequity and see the overlapping systems, right? Of yeah. um, classism and sexism and racism in these contexts and these spaces, and also the, the global differences of mm -hmm. what this agenda is in China and what it is in Ghana and what it is in the US. Um, Ultimately, I moved into diversity, inclusion, and corporate big banking, to be specific, because I felt a lot of the things perpetuated below the poverty line were being perpetuated above it. And so I spent a decade, um, Barclays, JP Morgan, building out customer diversity strategies, looking at supply chain, really thinking about the kind of enterprise-wide holistic impact of how companies espouse values into the world and actually live them. Um, led diversity inclusion also for Expedia Group in uh, technology, travel, hospitality, and then Tate and Lyle, so British listed food and beverage solutions company. Um, and then very privileged to have joined the Lego Group uh, last summer. And so have worked in this space, uh, been very privileged to work in this space for a very long time across a lot of sectors and a lot <laughs> of countries. Um, and I would say there's no one size fits all, but we can get into some of the nuance, the differences, the ways to scale solutions and impact. Love it. I don't even know where to start on that. That was an amazing background as well. It must have been amazing for you to see how this this space has uh, changed over 15 years. So you were, yeah. really, you were really doing this work before it was like front of mind for organizations, right? Now it's like every organization has a DEI team, DEI function leader. You know, back then, probably very, very, very few companies were doing this work. I think a lot of companies had teams, had um, concepts around it, but I think it was very much legal requirements, regulatory yeah. 
standards, it was really seen as more of a compliance activity. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that the groups had the institutional power, budget, and positioning to really think about their role in, you know, driving commercial outcomes, future-proofing the business, thinking about the brand, the employer brand, hiring, um, the workplace, the physical workplace, the digital accessibility. And so I think, uh, to some extent, the practitioners have been unleashed and are now able to drive much more scalable uh, change and impact. But I think there have certainly been many folks, um, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. So there's lots of folks that have been doing this longer than me that I've learned learned a lot from. Yeah. Walk us through your journey then. You know, a big challenge for organizations is, you know, how do you implement enterprise-wide DNI? You know, talk talk us through your first six months. <laughs> how you how, where do you where do you even start? Let's start there. <laughs> when you first come into the organization. Yeah, I mean look, this is my absolute favorite topic <laughs> to wax lyrical about. So uh, I'm, I don't even know where to begin. I'm so excited, but realistically, I'm going to explain what I guess we're talking about when we say enterprise-wide DNI before mm-hmm. going into examples, but really it's kind of taking this topic from interpersonal to institutional. And I think a lot of people think that this is an HR topic. It sits in human resources, but that limitation, although it's true, it has a lot of linkages to HR and it's a critical partnership if that's the only place that it lives, it doesn't actually allow this to be delivered holistically in your company. And so when we say enterprise-wide, it's really thinking about how does this touch every part of your organization? How do you embed it into the work, right? Whether you work in the DNI team or you're in another job across the company, um, if you think about the Lego group, and I'll give you one basic example, and then we can go to the building blocks. Um, If you took HR, we might be, and you took binary gender or gender diversity, we're prioritizing it in hiring efforts, right? So how do we ensure gender balance? How do we set ambitious targets? How do we build people policies around equal parental leave, around menopause? But then you also see it showing up in brand and marketing. So brand campaigns around girls, looking at how we get more girls into STEAM, closing the gender play gap. Um, Then we see it showing up in product. You might see the women in NASA product. You might see gender balance in Duplo mini dolls. Um, It shows up in external partnerships, right? So we have our social responsibility teams, our government public affairs teams working with UN women, our recruiting teams working with women in data, um, us partnering with Girls Opportunity Alliance, uh, Michelle Obama, Melinda Gates, Samal Clooney on getting girls into education. And so really what it does is it drives scalable impact, but it operates as a value chain, right? So what you're doing is you have your internal proof points that you're actually living the values you're espousing out into the world. You then have aligned product branding. You have digital accessibility (laughs) to make sure all folks can actually access that. You'll have it in your supply chain. So your supplier diversity chain also marries back into that. Um, And you'll also have it when you do communication. So every role in your business starts to see this as an underpin. Mm -hmm. Diversity inclusion is how you do business how you innovate, how you future-proof your business. It's not the obligation or responsibility of one person or one team um, that's going to kind of tell you what to do or do it for you. That's that's a high level how I think about it, but happy to bring it further if you want. That was was pretty comprehensive. (laughs) Um, I think about this all day. (laughs) And I love the fact that you used the words, which we'll jump into now, the building blocks, very, given your your Legos, (laughs) it makes sense. So we'll go through the building blocks then from the beginning. Yeah. Would you like me to take you through a little bit how we think about it? Exactly. I'd love to break that down. Yeah. So I think what you will find and what I have certainly found in the Lego group is 
there is so much passion, energy, and expertise within organizations on this topic. And that was definitely true when I joined the Lego group. And it's just really bringing folks together that might be working in different verticals, might have different reporting lines, but all have the ability to impact and influence diversity and inclusion and really building out a bit of a governance model, a framework of working together to kind of say, where does my role stop and your role start? Mm -hmm. If we're in a relay race, where do we pass the baton to make sure that each of the component parts are fitting together to get to a more inclusive outcome and a vision? And I think that's the most important uh, building brick, <laughs> building block, when you start from the beginning is identifying who are the stakeholders that comprise that value chain. Are there any gaps that you need to fill in that value chain? Looking at your communication, right? What's the North Star? What are you all working toward as a shared outcome and a shared goal? How do you communicate and storytell so that people can see the external and the internal proof points holding hands and being aligned? Um, and then how do you listen, right? How do you infuse what your employees and your customers and your community's ambitions and expectations are for you on this so that your work is constantly, um, you're receiving feedback, you're iterating, you're learning, you're growing, you know, diversity inclusion is in evolution. It's not a fixed state. Yeah. There is no destination. It's this journey. So it's having that commitment to having time and space to keep reflecting on what we've done, what we could have done differently, what we'll do next. Um, but really, like any business priority, planning, right? Quarter by quarter, year by year, five-year plans, yeah. and really thinking through what that group can do together. Um, but yeah, aligning stakeholders, herding tigers, <laughs> sometimes I call it, uh, is, is really the, the most important integral uh, step to get moving. So uh, you were doing that when we first spoke, right? You were on the listing tour, as you called it, when we when we spoke. What were the key takeaways from that listing tour, you know, and speaking with those stakeholders across the entire business, across the world? Yeah, look, it's it's a privilege to get to travel and listen, right? Active listening is a gift. Spending time with our employees is a gift, and I don't take it for granted coming out of the COVID world. Um, I think for me it was an opportunity to really understand people's firsthand experiences of inclusion, but also what are their ambitions for us, right? What do they hope that we will do and deliver for them? Um, I think the conversations really helped as someone who's new to not only understand our business, but also inform our strategy, right? Make sure that it's built for and with colleagues and centering their needs to the earlier point, you're not gonna get enterprise-wide strategy if you don't have shared accountability. So if people think it's my strategy, it's the DNI team's strategy, um, they aren't stepping into the kind of personal and institutional accountability I want. But if they feel like they co-created it and their voice is infused in it and they're accountable for the delivery of it, um, the energy and the momentum behind it is a lot higher. Um, I think a few things that I really learned and heard very loudly in the tour. Uh, the first is Leadership Playground, which, Chris, I think you've talked to yeah. uh, Lauren about before at the LEGO yeah. group. I think that really, really underpins our diversity inclusion work. Can you explain so that for the audience? Can you explain that for the audience, what that is? The leadership yes, program? it's, it's um, a model of how we think about leadership and yeah. democratizing leadership in the Lego group. And it has uh, three key behaviors, uh, kind of focuses around being brave, curious, and focused. And essentially what I heard is that this operates as a common language and a common foundation because everybody across all of our colleagues um, has quite a deep connection to this, uh, has experienced this for a long time. And so 
it helps folks when diversity inclusion can be a challenging conversation. It can be uncomfortable. It has lots of cultural differences. This framework gives people a way where they can go off into their campfire and know that that's a psychologically safe space. And I'm talking about a campfire made of Lego bricks. Yes, <laughs> and, and, and it lights up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, exactly. But I think that was really helpful to say. Actually, there's there is common language. There is a common way for people to get into a psychologically safe space to have what might be a really difficult conversation for them. Um, I think the other one, and this is a word I made up, um, is around globalization. So it was really clear that we can have a global strategy and we can have global principles, but it's very important for us to localize. The experience of diversity and inclusion is incredibly different in Hungary and in Mexico and in China and in many of the places that I was listening. So really allowing there to be kind of local action planning that juxtaposes some of that global strategy work so that it feels culturally relevant, locally relevant and authentic. Um, listening really helps to unlock that and understand some of those needs um, and opportunities. And I think it's uh, a space that we'll be investing in as well. Yeah, so you've, you've got on the tour, what were the, you mentioned one of the takeaways, any other key takeaways that you took from that? In, interestingly, and this look, this started before my tour. This started in my uh, hiring process, but that's when I started listening, <laughs> really, which is that's fair. You should. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the ways I decided to work for the Lego group is I went to, and I'm very lucky I'm in London, so one of our flagship stores is here in Leicester Square, and I went to the flagship store in Leicester Square, and I spent an entire day there. And I watched children and adults and parents. I had and no idea that you were going to be an employee at the time. No, I think they just thought I was stalking them or something. I don't know. I heard extensively long time not buying anything. And I talked to every employee and I asked them many questions around how the Lego group treated them, if one thing could be done incrementally differently to you know help them feel more included, what would it be? And look, I've worked at a lot of industries and a lot of spaces. I have never heard such a strong sentiment of fairness across our hourly populations and our salaried populations. So Hourly populations being folks, you know, working in a retail context, in a store, maybe in a production environment, they all spoke to me about how included they felt because they had the same parental leave as people working in a corporate office, because they had the same health care, because they had the same caregiver leave. Um, and it really was very important to people that they felt, hey, um, I'm a valued member of this company, irrespective of my way of working or my shift pattern or, you know, my compensation grading. And that's really unique. I've seen a lot of companies where people feel like second-class citizens. Yeah. They feel like there's different strategies. And so I think I heard that loud and clear. It's one of the reasons I joined, but I continued to hear that as I went into production environments or other spaces where people might work differently than in the London uh, hub and office. And so really thinking about how do we maintain momentum on that? How do we open source and share that with other companies that might be on that journey <laughs> as well? And then what, what can we do better? There's always things to improve. That's amazing to hear that. It's so important. And we, we were talking offline, right? Saying those are some of the people, whether they're in the factory workers or you know, front front lined it. Those are a lot of the people yep. that kept, kept us going, for example, during the pandemic um, yeah. uh, as well. So, so important. Um, I know something you're really passionate about is, is shifted from competition to collaboration. Explain that more. To the audience what, what you mean by that yes i think your audience is just going to get that i'm passionate about a lot of things <laughs> this, is, this is a key one um and this is a big belief i have i think in diversity and inclusion it's very different from other business priorities where there is no winning 
right? So it's not a conversation to say, you know, we want to be the best. We want to be number one at diversity and inclusion. We want to win. I don't want anyone else to lose, right? I don't want any, what does it mean for another company to lose at this, right? Like for us to win, do we want someone else to perpetuate inequity? Yeah. To do harm, right? Like we're all losing if anybody is losing at this because the rising tides are kind of lifting all the boats. And so I think it's reframing that idea of if we have a solution, if we have something that has helped, if we have something we've learned that's been a mistake, that's done harm, let's open source that and communicate that so that other companies, you know, don't recreate the wheel, can move forward with momentum or, you know, don't replicate the same mistakes and, and do harm. And I think that open sourcing of ideas, that collaborative kind of coalition building, thinking as an industry, instead of thinking as one company, you know, thinking of what we can do, what's our obligation as a toy industry? What's our obligation in advertising? You will have seen for World Children's Day um, with UNICEF, we actually just published and open sourced um, a playbook on promoting diversity and inclusion in advertising for children. So how do you safeguard children's rights? How do discriminatory norms and stereotypes and practices actually adversely impact kids' well-being and development? We use that to look at our own advertising, but why not share it with anyone else speaking to children yeah, yeah, right, right, through the advertising world? And I think if more companies continued to do that, we would go a lot further and a lot faster on this topic if people didn't hold those cards uh, close to their chest. Well, on that point then, how do you translate diversity and inclusion into product design and customers? Yeah, it's a, it's a billion dollar question. There you go. But uh, <laughs> look, it's, it's really critical. Why would you do that, right? First and foremost, it's gonna future-proof your brand. And I'm speaking from a company that just turned 90 years old. Yeah, right? so exactly. Another 90 years. And I think purpose-led brands um, are becoming more and more important. You see consumers voting with their wallet. You see folks investing in brands that they feel are aligned with their values. And so diversity and inclusion needs to translate right into the product that you're building for them, the experiences you're offering to them, um, whoever your customers are. I think it's important to know like what are your customers' ambitions for you on this so that you can actually live up to them and into them? Don't make assumptions, ask, right? Engage with them directly. Um, and then translating it into it, it's really about authenticity, right? So I think it's not saying this is what we think our customers want, but we're not living those values internally. Yeah. You have to also think about what are the policies, what are the practices, what are the proof points that we have that we can then translate back out into what we talk about in society. Mm -hmm. um, I often ask comms teams, I don't know if they love this question, but you know, just sitting with the question of, do, you, do we deserve to say something, right? When a topic like this comes up, um, I can give you a couple examples if, if you want them. Yeah, right. yeah, I love it. Product <laughs> and, and yeah. just to make, so I think we, we talked a little bit before about um, gender stereotypes. I called it the, the gender play gap. Mm -hmm. I love that, by the way. I thought I misheard that. <laughs> no. When you said that earlier, I was like, "Did you say? Did you say gender play gap?" No. I was like, "That's so no, there great." Is, there is a gender play gap, and so we think a lot, right, about play experiences. Yeah. We think a lot about girls being held back from um, STEAM, right? So whether that's science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics, and actually looking at things like doing research and saying, "Okay, we know 80% of boys are being encouraged to code when they're young, and only 20% of girls." And so how do we start to leverage play, leverage product, and make campaigns so that we reach parents and educators to start to close that STEAM gap? Um, we also, you know, 
really have to hold ourselves accountable, right? We make make advertising standards, we put them out in the world, we we really want to do the right thing, but we also need to audit our work, right? So we work with the Gina Davis Institute, we look back every year at our TV assets, our video assets, our imagery assets, anything that we built, right? And we look at representation, gender representation, people of color to ensure the direction that it's moving in um, and that our internal design, our product processes are continuing to mitigate for stereotypes, right? So I think that it's a constant commitment to make sure that this is part of your product, your experiences. Um, it's not just part of a framework <laughs> when you create something. There's an entire, uh, entire feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well. But yeah, there's lots of product examples we can get into if you want to. Yes, <laughs> I think Lego's always been kind of ahead of, ahead of the competition, I think, in terms of introducing that into the actual product itself, whether it be through, you know, Lego itself or the games or the, or the movies that my daughter Robin watches. Um, <laughs> you know, sh- share some examples. Yeah, I'd love to hear some examples. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look, and I'll just give you a few recent ones because you might be experiencing them. Um, we have our new friends group that's just launched this month in in January. And actually, a lot of folks have grown up with friends. It's it's a franchise we've had for a very long time, right? So now some of these characters are adults and there's kind of a new, a new group of um, children and young people in the portfolio. And for the first time, what you see in the storytelling and in the visual representation, you see a character with limb difference. You see quite a lot of um, various ethnicities represented, and there's really a lot of thoughtfulness in helping children see the reality of friendship, right, yeah. in the world and what folks look like, um, and also seeing themselves in in the set and the experience. And so I think that's something that you know it's it's longstanding, and it just goes to show that you can redesign and evolve and continue to make things more inclusive and representative um, over time. The other one that recently came out, and this is just one I like, uh, is the Lego Ideas table football set. Okay. So you might have seen it, but it's um, definitely one of our most diverse selections to date. So you've basically got the ability to build your own football team. Mm. Um, but you've got uh, 44 different kind of minifigures, uh, minifigure heads. You've got 43 different wigs. You have <laughs> six different skin tones. So it allows you to kind of customize, yeah, yeah. right? If you look at the World Cup, you could take your, your players, yeah. and put men and women playing together. So it's really um, using the power of sport, right, to, to drive more inclusive play. So that was just one that I, I really enjoyed uh, as an example. Both pretty new. But I'm gonna have to, I haven't come across those both, so I'm going to have to check them out now. They're super, interest, super interesting. <laughs> Your daughter might know about them. <laughs> yeah, probably. She loves. She's obsessed with the Lego cartoons. Any of the Lego oh. cartoons, she's all over it. She's just like <laughs> sitting there as uh, sort of obsessed. It's a good time for us to get to quiet time as well as adults. She can sit there watching Lego. She's I'm glad like, she can give you that gift. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing is like kids, like, you know, um, something about Lego just... In, just they just she was just sit there playing with Lego, and she's just in her little own little world, you know. And I've I've never seen her really focus and so much focus and attention on one task, if that makes sense. You know, she's four, so it's quite hard to keep oh. a four year old <laughs> from being distracted. But there's something about Lego that just just in in you know just playing in that world, right, and the creativity that comes from it. Well, so, I think it's it's built like by kids for kids, right? So there's the entire idea of kids. We center kids as our role models. And I think there's a lot of just imagination and play and inclusivity and, and things that really 
um, draw draw children in, but keep them, you know, they're learning <laughs> when they're playing Lego, they're growing. And so it's, it's those experiences um, that are really amazing. I mean, if I look at what, what my experience has been from a girl playing with Lego to, to an adult, um, yeah, it's, it's really evolved and, and come a very long way. And it's such a wide spectrum. I was speaking to my friend, Nick, who's moved out to Australia and I called him on, on, um, on uh, FaceTime and he was like, let me show you my new Lego set. So <laughs> you know, he, he's like 45, I think maybe. And he's just like, it, it doesn't matter what age you are at. Everyone can find joy. In, and then uh, he's doing a project with his wife. He's like, you've got this project going on. And even when I visit your offices in the canteen in the area, you have like Lego, right? And you have the book next to it. And it, people like mark where the last page was where they left off. So then someone else can come put their lunch down or take a break and carry on the Lego. So every time I come to the Lego group, I'm always walking up to a table to carry on where someone else left off. Even things like that is really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we didn't pay you to say any of that. Um, I I love the love for the brand, but it also goes back to what we talked about in inclusive product and design, right? It's that we want to have, you know, something for everyone. And so you'll see various people with their passion points, various people, um, with their interests being addressed through whether it's adults, whether it's kids, whether it's girls, whether it's arts, right? There's all kinds of, um, different ways to kind of channel your energy and, and interest in the product set. So very cool. Talk about, um, we spoke about this before, like the, the concept, concept, sorry, of intersectionality. Yeah. And I think this is one, um, a lot of organizations want shortcuts for diversity and inclusion. They want, prioritization. So, okay, well, we'll kind of focus on gender and then we'll focus on race and then we'll focus on disability. Um, And that doesn't work because that's not how human beings experience the world, right? None of us are one dimensional. And so I don't get to decide in this space, I'm a woman, but tomorrow I'm a queer woman and the next day. um, And so I think mindful of the three-dimensional nature of human beings, this concept of intersectionality, which comes from Kimberly Crenshaw um, from the 1980s, is really those intersections, right? Those overlapping systems of oppression and how they might show up in the workplace, in the world. Um, and this is particularly important when you build diversity inclusion strategies for your people. Um, a really good example is lots of companies make gender targets, yeah. right? That's a pretty common thing that happens. And so a lot of these gender targets disproportionately support the advancement of able-bodied white Western women mm-hmm. and then create a new problem. Where on the other side, they're now saying, oh, we don't have representation of people of color. We don't have representation of people with disabilities. Well, women are half the world. So there are women with disabilities and women of color. And you know, this, <laughs> this could have been thought about yeah. when we thought about gender goals and targets. And so I think the reason this concept is so important is it really helps you to think about the the reality of who your people are, the identities they hold, and how they might intersect and kind of interconnect to reflect the needs that they then have from a benefits standpoint, from a people policy standpoint, from a workplace standpoint. So it's it's more a kind of design principle, uh, a way of thinking to really yeah. build policies, practices, ways of working uh, that that suit everyone. Yeah, definitely a great principle to have in mind, right? Um, when you're when you're when you're when you're having these conversations. And with the team um, as well. Um, I'm wondering, you know, kind of been on this journey right now, both in previous companies and and where you are now, what would you say is the thing that you wish you knew now 
<laughs> when you got started? And for people that are listening to this that are maybe new on their journey, what are the things that you wish you knew when starting this work? It's hard to list one one or two things. I think the- As many as you want. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go with one. I'll give you one. So I think that it's that this work is really tiring and inspiring. It's really emotionally trying. And I think folks are very passionate about it. Um, they care very much about it, but they don't necessarily realize how you can be very deeply impacted personally by things that you're solving institutionally. And that can be incredibly challenging. It's very hard when you're working on human rights and human lives to have a nine to five job, right? You can work nine to five hours, but it's not at five o'clock that it's done. You haven't solved a 400 year old problem, <laughs> right? In, in a day. So you're kind of constantly um, building and moving forward and, and really practicing radical self-care in order to be able to protect your boundaries and, and think about how you ensure you're not pouring from an empty cup, right? And there's a really a big practice of self-care. I'm not implying those things don't exist in other roles, but I didn't realize maybe quite the extent to which this showed up in, in diversity inclusion work. Yeah. I, I, I hear that a lot from HR leaders, as you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. They come on the show, but I like the way you put it though. Tiring, but inspiring. <laughs> when people ask how I am, sometimes I say tired, but inspired. Yeah, but it's so true. That's the great way of putting it, right? Sometimes you are tired and you feel exhausted, but at the same time, you're also really inspired by the work. You know, it's kind of a weird juxtaposition <laughs> like yeah. on both sides, but it's such a good way of describing it um, as well. Uh, listen, Laura, before I let you go, I want to jump into our quick fire round. Yeah. So I'll ask you some questions, but you've only got 30 seconds per question. Okay. Uh, no pressure. Are you ready? Yes. Yeah. What's your number one hobby? and passion outside of the office reading total bibliophile i'll read yeah. 100 books a year non-stop oh, really? oh my god what what's on i know not to put you on the spot but what's some uh, go-to books that you could you would recommend for yeah. i mean diversity inclusion books given the topic um the wake up by michelle me jung kim has everything you ever need to hear and read on this topic Okay. Um, wow. AI deconstructed right now I'm, I'm reading by lily zhang also amazing anything by them is amazing all right, we'll put them in the chat for everyone. Um, if you could take your fingers and change one thing around diversity and inclusion, what would you change? I would encourage folks not to accept the status quo, not to do things because they've existed for a decade or a long period of time. Um, constantly redesign and rethink. Um, ask, think about what policies could be fairer, could be more inclusive. Ask yourself, who does this policy or practice inadvertently disadvantage or exclude? Um, and then redesign with some of those principles in, in mind. And do it over again. <laughs> yeah, keep doing it. Iterative process. I keep doing it. Um, how, how would your friends and family describe what you do for a living? It's, it's a fun one because our brand is recognized by my three-year-old nephew and my 95-year-old <laughs> grandfather. So there's actually a uh, pretty good yeah. Pretty solid understanding. Um, I'll give you a quote. My three-year-old nephew usually calls and says, Auntie Lala, what did you build today? Oh, and I say cool. policies, policies and practices, right? <laughs> so I think it's really um, the purposeful job, protecting human, li um, human lives, human rights, um, building, really building a more sustainable and inclusive future um, yeah. is probably what they would understand of the day-to-day. -day. We've got pretty good understanding <laughs> yeah. of that. Um, what legacy do you want to leave behind? 
Uh, I always quote Angela Davis here. So I just act as if it's possible to radically transform the world. And I do that all the time. So I really just want to have the world be a more equitable and inclusive place. I want to justify my existence on this planet. I care a lot about young people. So I want stereotypes and biases and self-limiting beliefs that start when you're really, really young and impact kids' development, self-esteem and growth um, to be interrupted a lot earlier so that we can build more inclusive societies and give our kids a better world to inherit than maybe okay. we did. I'm kind of thinking this next question is going to be a no, but <laughs> have you ever considered leaving the function to try something else? Uh, I've never considered quitting the Lego group, um, but I have acted upon quitting in many other roles. Um, it's very values driven for me. So if a company's yeah. values don't align with mine anymore, if they're behaving in a way that feels non-inclusive or unethical, or they're not acting in alignment with their DNI promises, I leave. I mean, I, I vote with my talent. Love and that. so that's, that's a really important thing, uh, yeah. to think about doing. Well, I was actually referring more to the the work of DNI, but I love the answer as well. <laughs> I mean, switching career into oh, this. I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't even fathom me not doing <laughs> I couldn't even think of the question in that way. Yeah, the fact that you couldn't even think of the question that way says all that we needed to hear <laughs> on that. Um, what's the biggest investment you've made in yourself? Uh, coaching. My my coach, I say she's on my personal board of directors, but by far having someone hold a mirror up to you and help yeah. you recognize the things you can't unlock within yourself. I mean, it's it's profoundly important to anything, including including careers. Love that. Um, who would you say is the one person that had the biggest impact on your career? My mentor, mm -hmm. actually. Yeah, it would be my my mentor who I've carried with me over almost a decade now. Um, from Can you banking. Give them a shout out. Can you give them a shout out. Did I do what? Can you give them a shout out? Oh yeah, uh, was Wasim Mushtaq, uh, absolutely <laughs> incredible polar opposite of me, a uh, huge operations and project management expertise and banking transformation. And we are incredibly different people and he has made me an incredibly and increasingly better person <laughs> with yeah. his mentorship over time. What do you think the biggest learning you've taken from him, would you say? Um, oh God, there are so many, I think learning a lot about um, the difference between courage and confidence. I'm a very confident person, but that doesn't necessarily mean uh, and translate into courage, right? To take risks, or as I talked about earlier, to vote with your uh, talent or move in line with your values. And so really kind of unlocking that within myself in order to move forward in whether it's my career or my charity work or, or personal work, um, they're all very interconnected. Love that. And then last question, um, what advice would you give to the DNI leaders of tomorrow? They're going to be stepping Ooh. in your role. I, I think um, I would go into, and this is how I sign all my emails, go into the concept of love and gratitude. So empathy building, getting deep and emotional, don't underestimate the power of emotions at work. Um, you know, Maya Angelou says, uh, you know, people will forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they won't forget how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. And just centering that in, in the workplace, I think, uh, is really important for all leaders, not just HR. Amazing. Well, look, thanks so much for coming on the show. I can't believe we just had that conversation. You've only been there six months. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a, we'll a check-in in, in a six months time or a year's time and see how you are. But um, thank you so much for sharing your journey and your experience. Um, really excited that you found a, a home that you truly love at Lego, at the Lego Group. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon, but I wish you all the best until then. 
yes, thank you very much uh, for giving me a platform to share. And if folks need uh, any learning, any support, any help on diversity and inclusion, I'll practice what I preach <laughs> on collaboration over competition. So reach out if there's something that we can support with, something we can open source, um, really trying to build a more inclusive world together. So Amazing. And um, I think probably the best place for people to catch you over on LinkedIn, right? If you yeah. In there. Yep. As well. Yeah, LinkedIn, and then follow the Lego Group. We do open source a lot of our DNI yes. work through our, you know, corporate channel as well. So that's a really great place if you want that DNI advertising toolkit from UNICEF. You know, that's where that lives, etc. So both, both yeah. of the two. Well, listen, all the best until we next speak. But yeah, have an have an amazing year ahead. Great, thank you. You as well.